Hello, everybody, and welcome to Captain's Quarters, the Star Trek Rewatch podcast, where we are going through the entire Star Trek catalog, starting at the beginning of the chronology. We're starting with Star Trek Enterprise. Today, we're talking about Star Trek Enterprise Season 1, uh, Episode 22. And the episode is called Vox Sola, Latin for Lone Voice. Indeed, it is. Yeah, my name's Gabe. I'm here with Jason. Make it so, Jason. Greetings. Um, so sometimes I like to talk about who directed it, who does the music and stuff like that. So this one was uh, directed by Roxanne Dawson. Ilana who, Torres! Yeah. From, from Star Trek Voyager. Star Trek Voyager. Who has directed other episodes. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing about this episode, too, was that... Uh, oh, by the way, story by Rick Berman, Brandon Braga, yep. Fred De- uh, Decker. Yeah. Um, featured music by uh, Paul Bilargian. And I screwed his name up last time. But he also did the Andorian incident. Which, if you oh. recall, Jason, um, I called out the music in that episode as you did. my you favorite. You absolutely did. You absolutely did. And when I was watching this episode, I was in love with the music, and I was like, I wonder if it's the same guy from the Andorians. And it well, it is. Um, okay, yep. Yeah. Yep. So, Very cool. Yeah, he's, he's a good one. And, you know, it kind of makes sense. So f- because, because the antagonist in this episode is a blob, a white blob. Uh-huh. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think they needed to play a up web. the music. Yeah. They needed to play up the music. Sure. To to fill in the lack of dialogue, so to speak, right? Yep, absolutely. So basically, the Enterprise crew invites some Cretacins, Cretacins yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. onto the Enterprise and in the teaser we see the Cretacens storming off because yeah. they're offended. And they, yeah. they're having a hard time with the Universal Translator because the Cretacens have a very, uh, very sort of particular dialect. And uh, Sato's having a really hard time inter- interpreting, uh, even with the, the Universal Translator. So they can't quite tell what they did wrong. Uh, but they keep saying something like, uh, you eat like you mate. Mm-hmm. So, um, mm. <laughs> yeah. So I, at first, I thought they were gonna say it's because they eat with women, um, but that's not what it was. Uh, you know what I mean? Like I thought yeah, yeah, I, the, yeah, the whole episode. Sure. I thought that's what they're gonna say. For sure. But, for sure. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> um. So they get offended. They storm off. So they so they show them these Cretacens sort of getting their ship and detach. As they detach, the the port um, that sort of attaches to the Enterprise, there is this blob web thing. It's white, and it yep. crawls off the Cretacean ship and goes into the Enterprise. Yep. So now they have an intruder on the Enterprise, and they don't even know it. Yeah, um, I would call it a passenger. Yeah. A passenger. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, well... So this passenger kind of hides, kind of hides, right? Yeah. And they do a thing where they introduce two random characters, and that's when you know someone's about to die. <laughs> like, 
Like when they randomly introduce two characters and they kind of focus in on them and give them dialogue. I think you described it previously as red shirting them. Yeah. yeah I'm, yeah, I'm exaggerating yeah. when I say they're going to die. But yeah. you know that they're going to be the uh, victims of something. Yeah. They, usually, they actually usually don't die, but something, uh, they usually fall ill or yep. fall into harm's way or whatever. Yep, they you take know. the brunt of mm-hmm. whatever happens. Yeah. And that's exactly what happens. They introduce these two characters, and they're kind of in a hurry because they're saying they're, uh, it's movie night. And uh, they do talk about the movie a bit. It's a real, real French uh, film. It's called The Wages of Fear. Yep. Have you seen it? I have not. I have not. It's yeah. way beyond my it's way beyond our time. It's I think it's from the fifties. Mm-hmm. And then yeah. I think it's based on a book, if I'm not mistaken. It's supposed to be a thriller film. But it was kind of interesting that, you know, this show came out in two thousand two or whatever. Um when they actually go watch the movie this blob, because of where it takes residence, disrupts the the movie's signal. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's uh, Malcolm or Mayweather or something says, don't worry, all the movies are on the computer. You can watch them at any time or something. And I thought that oh, was... Oh, no. I think that was Crewman... Ke- uh, oh, excuse me. Crewperson Kelly to Crewman uh, Rastoff. Because he, Kruman Raztoff was wanting to finish their work in engineering, and I believe it was Crew Person Kelly that told um, Kruman Raztoff, it's on the computer. Right. Yeah, you can watch it later or anytime. By the way, um, Kruman Raztoff, played by Joseph Will, who has played um, Star Trek characters on Star Trek Voyager. Oh, he did look familiar. Yeah. So, but I thought that was interesting because this is pre-Netflix. So yeah. That, that was sort of prescient, wasn't it? Wasn't it? I mean, like, you got to think, like, 2002, sure, we had iTunes. Mm-hmm. You could get digital movies, yeah. right? Yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But this idea of, like, a bank of movies on demand, I, I'm... I'm it's it's difficult in this era to think back to then, but like I, I still feel like they were kind of ahead of their time, like sure calling that out as this futuristic thing, you know? Because now we yeah, take that sure. for granted. But we take that for granted, absolutely. That's a good point. That's an excellent point. But yeah, to have a Starship library of um mm-hmm. of uh, films. Yeah. Well, anytime anytime they have movie night on the Enterprise, it makes me want to go watch that movie. Okay, all right. Because well, right. I feel like, you know, these guys have good taste to make these, yeah, yeah, these sure, shows, sure, so I feel like they're sure. picking good movies, right? Sure. So anyway, um, th- there's a weird sort of... Uh, I'm going to be telling stuff out of order, but there's sure. a weird sort of um, s- sort of disruption, uh, some sort of weird frequency that they're picking up yep. uh, caused by this blob. And so basically what's happening is that people who are going into this room are getting entangled in the web. And so people keep going in to, to save the previous person who gets kind of trapped in the web and they yep. get, they get ensnared themselves. So it's, it's Kruman Rastoff that gets um, trapped first and right. then Kruman Kelly. Right. Uh, but she radios into the captain mm-hmm. um, who happens 
to be watching uh, who... So we skipped ahead a little bit yeah. because mm-hmm. the captain was in kind of a down mood. Uh, he was a little disappointed that uh, the Cretacens, um you know, stormed off the Enterprise. Um, right. And, you know, this was not diplomatically their finest hour on board the Enterprise. So he's a little bit down. Mm-hmm. And so Commander Tucker uh, goes in to the captain's quarters and um, he, uh, enti- you know, tries to get the captain out of his funk and he um, bribes him with a recording of a Stanford versus University of Texas water polo match, which is fun to know, un- finally to realize that, or f- to find out that Captain Archer was a water polo player. Um, it's such a great, sp- I love water polo. I can't wait for the 2021 Olympics uh, oh, the yeah? summer, uh, the, the 2020 games, because I love water polo. Was the show's description of it? Um- accurate and they watch they watch a little bit of it they, yeah. they you're you watch them i think they're in the mess hall mm-hmm. uh you, i and you see them sit around the table and you see them i think it looked like a big bowl of pretzels and drinking beer and captain archer actually describes it fairly well and you're watching the two <clears> men <throat> um watch water polo mm-hmm. i thought it was fantastic yeah one thing about that too, um, this might seem ob- obvious to you, Jason. I didn't realize the captain's quarters are literally right off the bridge. Uh yeah. So, yeah. Um, because Tucker walks on and he says to Paul, "Is he in there?" Yeah. And they're standing on the bridge when he says that, and he just yeah. nods mm-hmm. off to the side mm-hmm. as if he's pointing to a room that's immediately adjacent to the bridge. Yeah, so on on some uh naval uh on some marine and naval vessels the captain's quarters is right off the bridge, but that's that doesn't always hold true um in the rest of the series. Okay. Um later on, Captain Picard on the Enterprise D has a ready room that's right off the bridge. It's his own personal office right off the bridge. Oh, but interesting. Not his quarters. Interesting. Yeah. That makes more sense. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that, no, it totally makes sense that, you know, on board the Enterprise, uh, this Enterprise, that the captain's quarters is right off the bridge. So he's right there. And, oh, you know what? And speaking of, we have a Porthos sighting in this. Yes, we this do. Month. Yes, Por- we do. I was, I was going to say. <laughs> Porthos actually sees the blob as the blob kind of moves sees its way through. The, or uh, smells or hears. I thought saw it because it kind of briefly went through the the duct, like th- okay, above okay, the captain's okay. quarters. I wasn't sure, but he, but Porthos was the first being to mm-hmm. recognize. Yeah, I liked that. Yeah, I love Porthos. So, well, so yeah, like you said, Tucker, because Archer's in a very bad mood. Tucker kind of gets him out of his funk by. Um, as part of the the mail, he says that the, the t- tele mail or something. He says something like that. Uh, I've got. I just. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, a recording. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that gets Archer in a better mood. So then at some point, Archer and Tucker and Reed go and investigate, and that's when they find the blob has ensnared. Uh, yes. 
So so Archer and Tucker get ensnared in the web. Yes. Reed is able to get away. Yes. Not before cutting off one of the tendrils of this yep. creature. Mm-hmm. So he takes the the tendril to flocks. Mm-hmm. Yep. To examine. Yep. At the same time throughout the episode, as is often the case, Sato is sort of burdened with like an insurmountable task. So she yes. has to translate the Cretacens stuff. Yep. Yep. And then and now has to translate whatever this this blob is well, doing. It's communicating, but it's not speaking. It's right. Sort of like a frequency well, that she's picking up. Yeah, I think yeah. You're you're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um and it's interesting because I think she feels that it's her fault as the comms officer translate you know, the translator comms officer. Mm-hmm that this diplomatic mission went awry and she <clears throat> feels um a lot of personal guilt mm-hmm. that it was her fault yeah. and i think it seems like she's also feeling it from some of the other officers involved specifically to paul but we'll get into that right well we can talk about that now because this episode is interesting in that there there are conflicts between mm-hmm. groups of of like of pairs of characters. Yeah, individuals. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. So there's conflict between Tapal and Sato. Yep. So basically, in Tapal's mind, she thinks she's just coaching Sato and giving her appropriate orders and direction. Yep. But yep. Sato views it as like she's picking on her. But right. Tapal tries to say, "Well, I I hold you to higher expectations." Yeah. Thus, I'm more critical. And 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 you know. It's funny because, so, it's, it's, it's Sato's idea to try a diplomatic communications strategy to the creature, to this being. And it's funny because, and it's interesting, okay, we should probably set this up, the the doctor so i'm gonna back it up a little bit to that's give fine people a yeah i've jumped context. around a bit it's this one was hard to so, go through in a linear way because yeah, it was almost so like three the different doctor stories. so dr flox um has got the this lopped off tentacle and it's still wiggling about and still moving and the doctor is finally re- is running some tests and he's realizing that the more time as the more time passes um this creature is forming a symbiotic relationship with crew person kelly crewman rostov um commander uh tucker and captain archer and so neurologically they're all their minds are becoming one essentially and they're essentially losing they're having their individuality taken away from them because they're becoming one with this creature, and so time is running out. And so Reed, in his guns blazing at it, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yep. wants to go, and you know, there, you know, he's in this panic mode, 
And so they're so Reed to Paul and Sato are on the bridge. Uh because Sato is now in command of the Enterprise. Um and that it's Sato's idea to communicate and try to use the universal translator and um to communicate with the uh this this being. And it was a surprise to me that to Paul's response, and I guess it was written in because to build that tension later between the two characters, but to Paul's response was that they need to neutralize it and agrees with Reed. And so she instructs Reed to go and come up with some sort of way to neutralize this creature. Because, yeah, because they're, you know, losing time and um, the trapped officers are losing their individuality and, um, and their life signs are fading. Mm-hmm. Well, and so he, he then sees that in the Enterprise's databank, there is schematics for a force field. Yeah, and he rebuilds or builds a force field from the yep. schematics. This is this is this is cool. So Reed, so when you said he, it you meant you, we know it's Reed, but it's Reed. Mm-hmm. Um, this is cool because this is a Genesis moment. You uh, were actually seeing for the first time the force field being used, right, and being created and you know messed with, and being. Um, improved on by Reed. Yeah, so I was going to ask you, so force fields are a thing in Star yes. Trek? Yes. An important thing? Um, yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. They, they act as the as the window to like a, a cargo bay um, or a shuttle bay or a containment to hold a violent criminal or it it's form it's part of the brig so there's no bars um mm-hmm. when you're sent to the brig on um, oh, okay. the enterprise or any starship it's just this force field that keeps it okay you um and you can and they can modify this force field to give off energy so if you touch it it can be nothing or you can actually get hurt right Right. Which then gets us into a into the conflict between Reed and Dr. Flox later on in the episode. Mm-hmm. Well, we could talk about that now. Sure. So as Reed is building this force field, because anytime you go into this room with this this web monster, you're in, in danger of getting entangled yourself Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, yep and if you just assume that it's attacking you yes then obviously you don't want to be trapped by it yep um so he builds he wants to build this force field but he wants to test the effects of it on the monster so or so that's why he goes to Dr. Flox because Flox has the tendril. Mm-hmm. Yep. So luckily, 
Phlox, you know, is maybe more aware and he's like, hold on, this thing is exhibiting, you know, all the signs of intelligent behavior. Yep. And I, I'm not going to allow you to just start zapping this thing. Yep. And then Reed's like, well, do I need to remind you that I outrank you? And Fox is like, well, not in here you don't. This is this is the medical bay. So they get a little heated there. And the thing is that Fox is right, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, and that all kind of comes together with with Sato trying to interpret the signals this thing is putting out. Yep. And, and then also in the scenes where everyone in the room... Uh, who's in the web, they can actually, they have a, a sort of t- a telepathy. They can read each other's thoughts. Yeah, because, the, again, they're becoming one. Mm-hmm. Neurologically. Neurologically, you know? yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yep. And, and and thus the name of the episode, Vox Sola. One, yeah. One voice. Lone voice, yep. Lone voice, yeah. So, I kind of want to talk about that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, that it's not surprising that reed thinks that this is some mindless vicious killer um and you know is racing to save his crewmates and his captain um and it's a totally natural reaction um but it's not you know but it's not unlike you know an orca feeding on, you know, a pot, you know, um, a seal or a great white shark, you know, feeding on other sharks or, mm-hmm. you know, fish. It's, we can't always assume that it's, that it's intentions is just violent and to kill. Right. Uh, it, it it's a natural, it, this may just be natural. It's natural you know it may just be feeding and it's part of nature and it's part of how this organism lives and survives is that it feeds on other organisms it just so happens that these other organisms and when it's quote-unquote feeding on or you know using to survive are your crewmates but you know and i agree you know plays into dr flocks and your point that you know, it's not a mindless killer, that it's just, you know, something that you don't understand. Just, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, that it's trying to kill for no reason. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, um, I, I think, so, so, because everyone is off trying to solve this problem, Mayweather is on charge, in charge on the bridge. Uh, he gets contacted um part of this whole time they set a course for the Cretacean ship to yeah. go talk to them yeah. and be like hey can you tell us what this thing is because we picked it up from your ship so yeah yeah because so mayweather so while in earlier in the episode the conference between sato uh to paul reed and mayweather part of it was they were trying to deduce how and when this creature came aboard and they come to the conclusion that it came from when the Cretacens were leaving um and part of the crew or part of the staff think that it may have been an attack potentially by the Cretacens for this mm-hmm offense that they committed um so they this go chasing after at this point unknown offense 
Exactly. Mm-hmm. So they go, so Reed, uh, I'm sorry. So Mayweather sets a course and is trying to intercept uh, the Cretacens. Mm-hmm. So, so at this point, after all these things have transpired, they actually catch up to the Cretacens. Mm-hmm. Yep. The Cretacens make contact, and because they're such an evolved species, uh, they actually learned English, and so the guy's able mm-hmm. to just speak English to, to Mayweather. Mm-hmm. And that's when we learn what this offense was. Yes. Which is that they eat, like, they eat with their mouths in the presence of others. Yeah, in public. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that was apparently this great offense, was yep. that they were eating, they were putting food in their mouths in front they of They found it vulgar. Right. Mm-hmm. So, but hey, buddy, did you recognize the Cretacean captain? I did not, no. That is Admiral Forrest. Oh, okay. So I saw his name as a guest star. I didn't realize that he was. Yeah. Cool. I was like, I don't remember Forrest being in this episode. Yeah. Uh huh. Wow. Yeah. That, that was a strange yeah, choice yeah. on their part. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So the Cretacens were. It's interesting because like so many of the aliens and recent episodes have been extremely humanoid and this yeah. this episode the cretacens are very i mean they're humanoid but they're very not human looking yeah and then mm-hmm. obviously the the blob monster is obviously not humanoid at all yep um so, hey i wanted to ask i've been debating yep. on whether i should ask this because i'm gonna sh- <laughs> sort of show my hand is not knowing anything but no what no is problem. that f- extremely famous sci-fi movie with the white blob that uh you just answered your question (laughs) the blob no well okay it's it's after the blob the movie there's a very famous one oh maybe they're underwater i'm sorry i'm sorry wow oh um Yeah, see, I was I was wondering if I should just not say anything because I, I maybe they're in water, they're underwater, and they're describe like, the. I, I, we're talking about a film. Yeah, it's a famous sci-fi movie. I think they're under in the ocean, and there's some sort of um, white blob that like makes contact. I thought it was two thousand one, a space odyssey. How well do you know that movie? <laughs> Oh, I have not seen it in a long neither, time. Neither have I. I think I saw it when I was like a teenager. I don't remember any of it. Um, I don't think it was in that. I'm sorry, Dave. No, um, no worries. Well, I just was wondering if... No, Dave. I don't think that's correct, Dave. <laughs> what are you trying to do, Dave? Uh, no. Sorry. Um, White Blob. Yeah. You know what? I will, uh, if I figure it out, maybe I'll bring it up next time. But okay. I, know, I know whatever movie I'm thinking of has really good music. And I just wondered if Because you movie, know the Blob has had a couple of iterations. Oh, well, that's a good point. Um, um, are you thinking of maybe Aliens? I don't know. Um, where they're trapped... Oh, man... Oh boy. <laughs> uh 
That's all oh, right, dude. Man. Let's just move on. If I figure okay. it out, because I, I figured think out bring it up. in the first or second aliens, I think one of the egg rooms is surrounded by white. Oh, okay. But I don't. Uh, sorry. Oh. You know what? Don't worry about it. I I oh, was man. wondering if this was a reference to that because also whatever i'm thinking of is known for its music and um you know this this episode had pretty you know uh the, the music was was more epic than normal okay so, okay yeah so i yeah i apologize for you no know. worries no worries buddy yeah i thought i thought you were talking about the blob yeah <laughs> <laughs> well okay so so once once everything is finally translated and oh you're missing the um the conflict between sato and tapal well i know we touched on it with we touched on it being hard on on her tapal actually apologizes she's like i apologize if i come across as harsh um i don't actually to be honest jason i don't remember how it resolves i other than i know sato is successful in in interpreting the blog yeah so um so one of the the one of the early strategies is to that reed comes up with via the doctor because it responds so this creature responds to em pulses and so they uh, so reed is ordered by to paul to um reconfigure these em devices em pulse devices i believe and they go in to the cargo bay so reed and a couple other crewmen go into the cargo bay and fire these em band pulses into the creature and but they realize that the it's not only impacting the creature but it's also hurting Archer, Tucker, and the other imprisoned crew members. Oh, right, right. And so they're forced to turn it off. And so they realize, oh, this they're becoming a singular... That all their crew members and all of them mm. are becoming a singular um, entity with this being. And so they... Um, and so Sato, again, comes up to T'Pol... And says, I want to try to um, uh, communicate with this species, with this alien. Right. And so Paul, you know, says yes. And and so later on in the episode, and Sato is working on it and not making much progress. And so Paul is, you know, again, being... I wouldn't say overly hard or overly harsh, but I think Insensato is just feeling the pressure. Uh, and there's this tension that has been rising between the two characters from previous episodes. Mm-hmm. And so finally, you know, because... And so finally, um, Insensato asks to Paul for, you know, to Paul's help. Um, because there could be mathematical equations and numbers involved, and she's not well versed in right. the numbers as well as to Paul. I liked that and part. And so, 
later on in the episode, we see the two, and this, this again, brilliant to build that tension again. It, the, 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 the next scene that we see to, of them together, they're working in the mess hall, but they're working back to back and at separate tables in the mess hall. Mm-hmm. Paul is working on the mathematics and the mathematical equations while Ensign Tato is working on the, um, the syntax and, you know, um, trying to put this together, um, uh, the language together. And there's this tension again, and Sato finally kind of breaks and wonders why Paul is so harsh and takes it personally and and she blurts out well i see you know you've read you've cross-checked my work and look at all my you know records and stuff and that was strange that sato knew that to paul was you know reviewing the records even though it is the job of a first officer to make sure that everything that all of the crew members are doing their job and being a vulcan she's gonna be I think, you know, um, pretty strict with everyone, but I think Sato, you know, takes it personally, you know, it seems like Sato takes it personally. And we finally, and another first is that we realize, we come to know that T'Pol is actually the first officer of the Enterprise. It's not Commander Tucker. Um, it's been implied before, you know, when Archer, leaves the bridge or, you know, when T'Pol um, leads an away team or something. Okay. It, you know, she is the first one. She is the ex- the executive officer and first officer of the Enterprise. So that wasn't explicitly... It, it was not explicitly said. Really? But it was now. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you think it that was, was just intentional? Assumed. I think so. I think so. I think so. Hmm. I think so. I think so. Okay. But we realize, or we understand now, that the Vulcan subcommander supersedes Commander Tucker in rank, and she is officially now recognized, or, you know, to us viewers, as the first officer of the Enterprise. Okay. And so, T'Pol finally, you know, says, you know, I hold you to this high regard because I know that you can take it. And she does apologize. And T'Pol does apologize to Ensensato for coming off as overly harsh, but then, you know, kind of gives her that confidence boost. And so then you see the the ice kind of thawing and melting, and then they finally start working together and putting together um, the mathematics and the the language together. Yeah, and I really like that. I really like that so, when she was when she was like, I don't. I don't know the advanced mathematics enough to be able to solve this. And then DePaul's like, well, maybe I can help. Yeah. Yeah. I, I really liked that part. Just, just with, um, them working together. Yep. Yeah. To solve. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, um, yeah. So that, that pretty much wraps it up. They do find out that the, basically the, when, when, because Mayweather's in contact with the Cretacens, he explains hey, there's like this white blob thing. The Cretacens like, well, we didn't put that there, but I, we know the creature you're talking about. And then he gives them the coordinates of this creature's home planet. Mm-hmm. And so, um, 
you know, because this creature needs to sort of web with others, you know, it, it has this incessant need to not be alone. Mm -hmm. It needs Mm -hmm. to go home to be with like, it's, it's right. So that's what they do. They, they take it home. Yep. And they drop it off. They're able to communicate with it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Right. They're able to, to, to mimic um, it's communication. So they're able to communicate yep. with it and say, Hey, let, let our people go. We're going to take you home. Yep. And it gives, and this, and this alien gives the enterprise very specific lat long coordinates of where it needs to be placed. Not just the planet, but the exact yep. spot mm-hmm. yep. on the planet. The exact spot. Yep. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I liked that. I liked the sentiment of this thing, you know, that, you know, I feel like only this show or this series could have pulled this off. This thing started out as this like hostile 1950s sci-fi blob yeah, monster mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, and yeah, ended mm-hmm, yeah. as this like perfect sort of like harmonious sort of beautiful creature that like just yeah, wants, yeah, just yeah. wants to hug everything. <laughs> yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so in, so they they do they take it back to its planet and it gets to join its its colony. Actually, and, uh, we 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 then get to understand that it's not a bunch of different beings, but one singular uh, being. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a little bit of dialogue at the end where T'Pol says, "It's not them; it's it." Right. Yeah. So. Yeah, that was kind of cool. Kind of, it kind of reminded me of the of a mycelial mass kind of this yeah. white mm-hmm. mycelium kind of thing just overrunning this planet, right? Or its home world. Mm-hmm. Yep. And did and so when it and did uh, did we did I catch that it was also Doctor Flux that he saved the tendril and it was also able to kind of squirm back. Yeah, he says something like, that's not all of it, and then he opens up the case, and the tendril right. crawls out and rejoins yeah. its its mass. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so... I thought I saw that. Yeah. This uh, episode, just very, very sort of detailed conflicts, sort of running parallel to each other. Mm-hmm. I thought they executed it pretty well. This is a pretty good episode. Yeah. Uh, what, I, I did figure out the movie I was thinking of. So it's, oh, okay. So it's actually James Cameron's The Abyss. So they actually are oh, underwater. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. And there is, you know, that blob face thing. Oh. Uh, I don't. I think that's at the end. I of the movie. really did not remember. Okay, all right. Kadili. To me, I don't know. I could be wrong. I thought. This that movie seemed like an obvious inspiration for this could be okay. way okay. off. It could have been. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah, no, it could have been. No, yeah, definitely. You know, it had a little cocoon. Uh, I never feel saw that. to it. Never saw okay. That. Um. Well. Yeah, I was just trying to. I was just looking at the abyss uh, the plot. And, oh, um, you know what other? Mo- I'm sorry, but you know what other movie it kind of reminded me of? Super Mario Brothers. <laughs> oh yeah. I I just 
I just thought I was like, what movie? I was not and, expecting you and, to say that. And I and I thought it was a little Super Mario Brothers because remember in the chamber, the king of dinosaur world, land universe, whatever mm-hmm. is a big, you know, fungus mass thing. I don't remember that. Okay, I've, I've okay. seen that movie, but it's literally been twenty five. Yeah, it's years. been a long time. Yeah. yeah, it's been a long time. So it kind of reminded me of that. Okay. When's the last time you saw that? Oh, uh, it's been a long time. <laughs> All right. It's been a long time. It's been a really long time. Well, hey, now they have Super Mario World, which, as soon as I, um, you know. I'm able to travel. That's definitely a place I want to go. It's in Japan. Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, One of the definitely. many reasons I need to go to Japan. Yeah, definitely. Well, any- your Zelda fa- fandom. Yeah, exactly. Big time part of it. Mm-hmm. Well, anything else uh, we should talk about for this one? You know, um, we. D- I, I, I just kind of want to touch on it briefly, but um, the mental strength of archer and um to hold out so long in the episode because you know as they're as they're being entangled you know you can hear the you know um but uh archer says didn't say it um but tucker because they're becoming one and becoming one mind reed is able to read Archer's thoughts and Archer was in a in a final and they were down in a water polo final and they were down his team was down and Archer um and they and Reed and Archer have this conversation or um in, in a moment that you know when you think you've all lost that's already half the battle you've already started you've already started losing um, and to be mentally tough and to, you know, that, to fight through that adversity and to, you know, um, never say die kind of attitude really played, uh, well into, into Archer. And yeah. we realized that, um, yeah, that Tucker is from Texas and Archer, obviously from California. There was a little <laughs> rivalry there between Stanford and, and Texas, but. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's all. That's all I wanted to mention. That, you know, there was a mental fortitude that Archer, that we get to see behind the character. A little bit more character, a little bit more uh, in-depth, or insights into the character. Right. Yeah, I love... And if you're a Sato fan, this was Mm -hmm. a a great episode for a Sato. Mm -hmm. Although, I don't know how many times she needs to redeem herself. Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) I, I mean, you know... The fact that she that Sato would think that T'Pol wants her off the Enterprise, and for Sa- and for T'Pol to say, basically that Sato is an invaluable member of the Enterprise, that was right. That was great. Right. I love this episode. I I, I absolutely love this. This is yeah. This was, I did too. One of my favorites. I did too. I'm I'm a so far this season for a, for a lot of reasons. A big one being the music. I'm a sucker for music, and uh, this was 
one of the top ones thus far. Um, so, well, uh, with that being said, uh, please uh, subscribe to this on uh, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, follow Nerdific on Twitter, subscribe on YouTube. And um, with that being said, um, live long and prosper, Jason. May the force be with you. See ya.